Hello, my name is Damon Baker. In this latest episode of the GDFM podcast series, we're going to be discussing third-party risk management and what the recent UK regulatory updates mean for the financial services industry. We will provide our insights into the challenges caused by increased regulatory expectations and what these mean for the often complex operating models that exist in many financial services institutions. We will also explore the increasing role that data and technology will have in this space going forward and how these can best be leveraged to improve business processes and reduce inefficiencies. Let me begin by introducing the team in today's podcast. We have Lawrence Parrish, who is business lead for risk at GDFM. Lawrence is in his fourth decade in the financial services industry. He spent most of his career working in tier one investment banks, but moved into consultancy just under 10 years ago. Josh Clark is our practice lead in operational risk and resilience. He has extensive experience working in TPRM within the financial services industry and is currently working for a large universal bank in this space. Finally, joining us today is Gavin Burr. Gavin joined us after graduating university and is one of our senior analysts. He is working on a TPRM project for one of GDFM's largest clients in the financial services space. So to kick things off, I'll bring in Lawrence to talk about the increasing regulatory expectations we mentioned in the intro. Lawrence? Thank you, David. Before we start, we should explain a couple of the acronyms that we should use throughout this broadcast. So TPRM, or Third Party Risk Management, is a form of risk management that focuses on identifying and reducing risks relating to the use of third parties, sometimes referred to as vendors, suppliers, partners, contractors, or service providers. The discipline is designed to give organisations an understanding of the third parties that they use, how they use them, and what safeguards their third parties have in place. The scope and requirements of a TPRM programme can vary widely depending on the size and the industry that the firm is within. However, many of the TPRM best practices are universal and applicable to every business or organisation. The FCA is the Financial Conduct Authority and it regulates the financial services industry in the UK. Its role includes protecting consumers, keeping the industry stable and promoting healthy competition between the financial service providers. The PRA is the Prudential Regulation Authority and its role is to provide prudential oversight. It creates policies for firms to follow and provides supervisory oversight of INSCO businesses. Its aim is to ensure that the financial services and products that we all rely on are provided in a safe and sound way. We'll also refer to supervisory statements. These set out flexible frameworks for firms, incorporating new and existing expectations of the regulators. They focus on regulatory expectations and are aimed at facilitating firm and supervisory judgment in determining whether they meet those expectations. They do not set out absolute requirements. These are contained in the rules and firms are able to interpret the supervisory statements in the context of their business profile. Josh, could you please provide a summary of the key requirements brought about by the new PRO regulations? Why do we believe that the FCA and PRA are increasing the requirement? The reason the FCA and PRA are increasing the requirements, I think, is because the TPRM space has had a lot more attention over the past few years. One factor being the, the pandemic has increased reliance on firms to use third parties and monitor the risks associated. I think the need for modern IT infrastructure and cloud providers to to support the new norm of agile working means that you've got a larger number of external vendors. 
The other factor to note is that third-party risk has been included as one of the top 10 operational risks by senior industry practitioners for the past four to five years. This shows its relevance now and increasing relevance over the past 10 years. There are also flavours of third-party risk within other categories too, such as ICT risk, data risk and reg risk. This latest SS follows on from the recent EVA guidelines on outsourcing that were released in 2019. And so you can see they're also developing what has already been written in this space before. And this SS expanded on certain, certain sections relating to data security, business continuity and exit plans. And as well as this, the aim of the latest supervisory statement is to firstly complement the requirements and expectations on the latest operational resilience statement of policy. But in addition to this, it will also help to facilitate greater resilience and adoption of the cloud and other technologies. But I think we're going to talk a little bit about that more as we go on. So supervisory statements are helpful to firms as they provide an holistic view of new and existing expectations. But what are the key additions in these most recent statements and, and how does this affect the need to monitor relationships? Well, I think, Lawrence, the key, the key additions include an expectation that not only are we looking at outsourcing arrangements, but we're also looking at non-outsourcing arrangements. These are now within the PRA scope and should involve assessing the materiality and the risks of all third-party arrangements, irrespective of what was deemed outsourcing or not. There's also a greater focus on the proportionality for intergroup arrangements and a reminder that the view of the regulator is that intergroup service providers are no less risky than external vendors. And so you should be proportionally risk assessing these in the same way as you do your external vendors. Firms are also required to assess the concentration risk of their third parties, including the concentration within geographical locations. And the SS reminds firms of the requirement to notify the PRA when entering a material outsourcing arrangement, as well as a non-outsourcing material, material arrangement, and to also notify when there is a change from material to non-material. There are other additions, however, the examples I've given highlights the greater focus in this space and the potential expansion of, of scope that firms need to look at. Yeah, how much extra work will this be adding for most financial services firms, do you think? Well, I think this, this depends on how strong the existing framework and operating model is including how well documented and specified any existing intergroup or non-outsourcing arrangements are, as these populations will vastly increase the scope of TPRM if previously not covered in depth, but has now, from the latest SS, been noted that it is now required to, to assess both of these populations in a proportionate way. The other factor to consider is the due diligence process and the level of automation in place. Firms that have a lengthy manual due diligence process will often struggle to upscale to include this on outsourcing or intergroup services if they are not already managed. Thanks, Josh. So, Gavin, there's increased importance given to cloud service providers. Well, what does this actually mean in practice? Well, cloud services are massively growing in use every year with cloud-based spending predicted to increase by over 20% in 2022. As their commonality increases, there is a greater need for firms to properly understand the risks that are associated with cloud providers and how sort of different types of cloud providers will be, will be affected in different ways. And this is particularly important when we're talking about data security and the location in which data, data is held, particularly given the need to ensure that that firms' data is, is protected when held in the cloud and to ensure that the GDPR regs are being complied with. 
So now the phrase we used at the outset of this podcast was TPRM or third party risk management, but we're now seeing mention of oversight of fourth and fifth parties. What are fourth and fifth parties? Yeah, so fourth parties are the service providers that are used by third parties and then fifth parties kind of on from that are the service providers that, that the fourth parties use. So how are we expecting firms to address this issue? So the issue that firms have around this is primarily around out, uh, sub, subcontracting. Firms have to make sure that they have a level of oversight around which the fourth and fifth parties are involved in the service provision by the third party. They then have to make sure that the risks associated to these parties are properly assessed. And this can be done by providing the third party with, with some documentation to fill on, in on the fourth parties. And it will also help firms to gain, gain a greater understanding of the length that the third party goes to in, in addressing the risks posed by their fourth or fifth parties, i.e. how strong is the third party's TPRM framework. This information on subcontractors is required within paragraphs 54 and 55 of the EBA guidelines. So the FCA implemented the individual accountability regime in order to place greater accountability on a firm's senior management. Are we seeing the same in the vendor risk management space? And if so, what does this mean for firms? Yes, we are. I think SMF24 accountability highlights the seriousness the regulator takes in looking at TPRM. Yes, this SS defines responsibilities for boards, including an understanding of the reliance on critical third parties to support the services offered by their firm. So Lawrence, can you tell us a bit about the difference between, between being accountable and being responsible? Sure. So the designated senior management function, or SMF, is accountable to the regulator. Their function, their function role is formally recognised and documented. They can be held personally and criminally liable, and they cannot delegate this accountability. However, the SMF can delegate responsibility to other persons who will be held responsible for the role internally by the firm's board of directors. An example of this might be the chief risk officer being the accountable SMF, but delegating responsibility for management of the various types of risk to their management team. Great, thanks. So how can firms address this increased focus on management accountability? Good governance and regular, concise, clear and consistent management information is key to keep those responsible appropriately informed. There are distinct parallels between the expectation around management of financial crime from which firms can draw experience. And Gav, just adding on to what Lawrence just talked about, what are the expected penalties for failure to notify? So the penalties at the moment, they're, they're currently un, unclear and not totally defined, but they're likely to be to be quite harsh. Earlier this year, Standard Chartered was given a fine of £46.55 million for failing to be open and cooperative with the PRA in terms of its regulatory reporting. This was the first case where, in it, where the penalty was solely handed out by the PRA, so it's likely to be indicative of any fines that are handed out to similar-sized organisations in the future. And as well as that, in 2019, Raphael's bank was fined £1.89 million for failing to manage its outsourcing arrangements properly. Thanks for that, Gavin. What deficiency have you seen in clients' operating models, Josh? Yeah, so I think all the additions within the latest SS comes both a need to change bills to potential to increase in scope, both of which requires the right people to be in place to support this, the right investment is going to be needed to resource this growing space and cope with the changes in scope. Data and handling of large volumes of information has been a struggle due to the fact information can be captured on third parties from numerous different areas, often leading to duplication of work. 
This has been caused by a history of using a decentralized model. Third parties pose numerous different risks and therefore different functions of a firm are interested in assessing these risks. So, Gavin, what is a decentralized model? So a decentralized operating model is where we see different functions assessing different types of risk in different ways. This can often lead to much more effort being required across a firm and can cause disconnects, which in turn can then result in an understatement of the, of the overall level of, level of risk. Efficiencies can be made by centralizing activities. However, this does require greater levels of senior management decision making. The decentralized operating model can lead to disconnects between functions that can be risk, IT, procurement, second line of defense, etc. And again, parallels can be drawn with crime and developments that we've seen in that area. So we've talked about risk managers who are clearly specialized and focused. But what does this mean for our first line of defense managers who own the client risk management alongside client revenue generation and sales? Yeah, a decentralized model means that there is a lot more pressure on these first line of defense managers and means that they have to take ownership of a lot more within the TPRM process. Often relationship managers are not adequately prepared, trained and incentivized to ensure that risk management is effective. They instead quite often just see it as a sort of box box ticking exercise. On the flip side, a centralized model where all risk functions interact well together will lead to a much more positive, holistic onboarding to exit vendor journey. And just to chip in there, Gavin, I think you hit the nail on the head when you spoke about first-line defence managers and them seeing as a box-ticking exercise. I think they is very much a side of desk activity and often engagement can be can be a big struggle for anyone engaging with completing the documentation needed. I think they need to realise that they own the risk and they need to understand what's exactly involved in the process. So how do we think firms might address this challenge? Well, I think there needs to be a culture of support in place. I think the first line of defence needs the right information to complete what is needed from them. I think clear roles and responsibilities is key between not only the first line, but also the whole three line of defence model. This will ensure people know what is exactly is expected of them. On top of this, keeping assessment templates or workflows simple without losing the depth required will reduce the chances of assessment fatigue and will make it a lot easier for first line of defence to complete this within a shorter time frame. Lastly, it's imperative that there's regular training and this must be seen as a necessity when moving into a role that engages with the the third party risk life cycle. Um, So Lawrence, what does all this mean in practice for financial services firms and how can a holistic TPRM model be better promoted? Well, firms are going to be at different stages of maturity in the management of third party risk and will have varying levels of complexity in terms of their customer risk profile, geographic footprint, product set, and industry demographics. Therefore, there isn't a one-size-fits-all model. But what we can say is that firms should follow a framework by which they understand the regulatory expectations, they interpret those expectations for their business, they undertake a gap analysis between their current framework and, and processes and the tailored expectations, They put in place a program to remediate the gaps with a quality assurance process to ensure that the new standards are maintained after the program has completed. Updating the operating model to incorporate the identified gaps and ideally address the issues around centralisation. So it sounds like these new regulatory expectations are potentially significant for financial services firms in the UK. We've seen examples of banks struggling to meet regulatory uplift in the financial crime space, 
Many banks have undertaken remediation programs with some incurring financial penalties in the process. We've also seen examples of huge project teams being established or equally large operations teams often established offshore to attempt to process substantial volumes of data now accessible through the use of cloud technology. So do we expect to see the same in the TPRM space? From my view, Damon, yes, I think it's, it's likely, but it also depends on the emphasis that firms have placed on third-party risk management in the past. I think internal or external audit findings are likely to highlight gaps in their framework as TPRM can contain highly manual processes where firms lack automation. If this results in large volumes of data missing that is required by the PRA, then someone or a team are going to need to find a way to plug this gap to comply with the latest regulations. To add the manual process, lack of automation and duplication of work can lead to burnout, especially as these population volumes increase, might make it more difficult for the firm to assess these issues. Got it. So how can the application of tech help resolve these challenges? And are there any positive spin-offs from that? There are now platforms where data can be sourced, analyzed, managed, stored, and shared across organizations. Rules can be created and flexed to meet the requirements of the firm and of the changing regulations. And the data can be sourced direct from the client via a portal and analyzed using advanced machine intelligence and learning. Machines can form views based on the parameters they receive and pass relevant files to humans for assessment. And all of this is done in a fraction of the time taken for for the human resource. Yeah, and just to add to that, Lawrence, obviously this is a good thing because human analysts are then left with reduced volumes of data that they have that they can then analyze in greater depth. The outcome of this is a more fulfilled workforce, a reduced error levels, improved risk management, and the manage- managers that have the SMF responsibility are likely to be better informed about. There are other spin-offs too. The frontline staff who would otherwise have to manually manage this data have their time freed up for revenue generating activities. Vendors will also have an enhanced experience, which leads to closer and more collaborative relationships. And what are we doing at GDFM to support our clients in this area? It's a good question, Damon. I think here at GDFM, we can support our clients in a multitude of ways. We have experience in operating model design and recognize the need to shape an operating model to best fit you as the client. We also have experience in large-scale mediation work to uplift current TPRM documentation to meet the latest SS, both from the PRA's perspective, but also the European guidelines. I think it's also worth mentioning that GDFM has recently launched a new practice, GDFM Cloud Consulting, which will work with the existing risk and regulatory advisory practices to provide an end-to-end full-service offering to include advising, developing, and delivering a bespoke tech platform as part of a tailored business solution. We have become a Salesforce business partner with a number of staff having either gained Salesforce certification or they are expected to achieve their certifications in the coming weeks. Our Salesforce is a globally recognized platform and is perfectly positioned as a technology partner with GDFM to support client solutions in both the risk and regulatory environments. I do want to add to that. So we do have our technology capability that we're developing in GDFM, but on the other side, of course, is is the human capital. So we have a program where grads go through, and that's called the GDFM Academy. So you take someone fresh out of university, we train them up in mostly in the financial crime space. Part of the academy is not just on the technical learning, 
It's also on what some people call soft skills or what we call it GDFM essential skills. So improvement in their executive presence in writing and in this new era, how to manage their work-life balance in a work-for-home context. So the academy helps us get graduates up to a level where they can immediately start in a client project. And as you stated before, we've seen a lot more project work being pushed to consultancies on the back of these increased regulatory expectations. Thanks again for your insights. That was really helpful, especially in light of these increased regulatory expectations. So I want to thank our guests. I want to thank Lawrence. I want to thank Gavin. And I want to thank Josh for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for joining us today. The team spoke about the PRA's most recent supervisory statement on outsourcing and how it's affecting UK-based firms in general, and then specifically how the requirements highlight deficiencies of firms that have complex operating models. We spoke about the continued role of technology, its efficiencies and positive effects, and then we wrapped up with an intro to GDFM's tech consulting practice. Please join us next time. Goodbye.